0: Emmy Award-winning film and TV composer Ron Jones is a man with a mission, and it's not just a musical mission, but rather a quest to make the world a happier place, where people appreciate each other and take the time to express it. This is a somewhat unusual focus in the creative world, and especially in Hollywood, where self-absorption and self-preservation can be the prevailing attitude. Ron's work on Star Trek The Next Generation and numerous other television projects has given him great satisfaction, but it's his work on Family Guy and American Dad that has been particularly enjoyable because of the freedom he's enjoyed through his unique relationship with Seth MacFarlane, the show's creator. Today is part of our 20th anniversary celebration. We revisit my conversation with Ron Jones, one of my favorites and certainly most inspiring. I talked with Ron in December 2011 at Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank, California, before his scoring session for Family Guy, and because we had so much fun and so much to discuss, we agreed to meet again a few months later to continue our conversation. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I commented to Ron that it takes a unique combination of skills to write scores for film and television. Yeah,
1: I think what people don't understand is that it's music for picture. And if I was writing a concert piece, you're sitting in a concert hall and you're focusing only on the musicians and the music that's being played. But we're like an opera because film and TV grew out of opera, out of theater theater and hollywood through through how it went from silent days to all these things has evolved an art of how to bring the power of music which is only to underscore the emotion my job is only i don't it may show a gun on the screen or a close-up of somebody i'm not there to score that immediate moment that's called mickey mousing things uh, like a Carl Stalling Bugs Bunny movie. Is that actually
0: the phrase? Yeah,
1: it's Mickey Mousing things because Carl Stalling and Walt Disney started out together in the 1920s, and they would hit, you know, a hundred things in a in a minute. Uh, and though if I Mickey Mouse things, it's so much organically coming out of it. I found ways to be a master at making the music seem. Like it's not really doing that, but it's doing those things. So mm. when I map out to a thousandth of a second what's being hit, because they call it a hit, or being supported, I map out the emotion. The, the emotion starts here, ends there, or it overlaps, or this character is carrying a, a certain feeling for 45 seconds, and the other ones have dropped it. Like that character is still c- scared, so the orchestration will change, the composition will change, the melody will change, the dynamics of the whole thing change. So so there's probably anywhere from 20 to 100 layers of information going on. As I select a note on the piano, as I'm composing, Does do these notes send that signal so that the audience, so the human receptor says, That represents that emotion. And can I do that so quickly that millions of people instantaneously get that feeling? So I'm the minister of propaganda.
2: Diamonds, daisies, snowflakes, that guy. Chestnuts, rainbows, springtime. Is that guy? He's tinsel on a tree. He's everything that every guy should
0: That Guy, written by my guest, Ron Jones, for the animated hit, Family Guy. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz
1: Inspired. In Hollywood, they don't really regard music the way that music people do. It's it's, it's very, very abusive.
0: Well, that's my impression, and so you're reinforcing that, because I feel that it isn't, well, music isn't regarded as highly in a lot of Spears, as but we know. But because of Seth,
1: we've, we've carved out a, a, a bubble. And we live in that bubble. It's not a huge bubble, but it's a good bubble.
0: This is because not just the success of the show, but because of Seth's sensibilities and respect for the music. And that goes out to everything else. Is that Well, what... what
1: I did is I hired a chimp, and I've had him you know, I've videotaped and putting the dots on there. I said, okay.
0: That chimp again.
1: I said, no, if you want super chimp... To give you a score that's that does all these magical things you want me to do that are unhuman, you better give Super Chimp some time and uh, some bananas. You know, I to brought do one this. here for this so, interview, of course, to keep you course. going. But see, I, I knew thought that. it was a microphone, but now I know it's a <laughs> it's
0: banana. a banana. And I'm glad to see you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Likewise, I know we have to stop meeting like this.
0: Oh uh, no, that's it's great to hear that because just coming in today, I was immediately greeted. By uh, your bass player, who said, "Oh, you're Judy." Ron's told me about you. There's a, there's a whole vibe here, and you told me at Warner's, and of course, I'm thrilled to be at Warner's just because it's Warner Brothers. Yeah. But I came in; everybody was very welcoming, and. There's you, and this is you. You're creating a great atmosphere, and you and I both know, because I do it with my own band in my little way, you're doing it in your huge way. Mm-hmm. The best music comes from happy musicians because mm-hmm. you're going to create in a good atmosphere and feel good about it.
1: You have to value them. You have to already so love them ahead of time. Mm. They feel so appreciated and so valued and that you're giving them creative real estate. The thing is they, they've spent... Their whole lives so say the average player in my I mean I have guys that that played with Tommy Dorsey wow. in my band that that have been session live session players and record guys for the best players for 70 years that are in my band so I grant them license so I tell people I say we have actually five thousand years of experience on the stage it's not so so you have to value that carve that out and give them that that that, that human space. So they know that I value them and 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 I, you know, I, the only things I regret over the years is like if I've been under a lot of stress and I say, you know, come on, really, you know, help me get through this thing instead of saying, you know, I really appreciate you guys no matter what we do. We're in this together. So I've sort of like over the years because I've been working in L.A. for 33 years straight, I've sort of learned. They've trained me and in my early years, doing Hanna Barbera, I would show up. I would do four sessions a week, and I had like Vince DeRose on French Horn and all these great the who's who of players. And I'd say, you know, how did how did I do? And they'd say, you know, come here. Here's this French Horn part. Can you do that? So I was taken under the wing because I valued them. Mm. Here was a great guys. They didn't have to say to this stupid kid, uh, you know, uh, they weren't trying to get brownie points with me that I'm going to take them with them. I mean, I haven't taken them to Porcoima. But they they value that and I've always valued them. Mm. That we're in this together. So that creates a, an atmosphere where you walk in and it's just a joy.
0: We'll Always Have Paris from Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 1, written by my guest, Ron Jones. I sat in on one of Ron's scoring sessions for Family Guy and watched him conduct the orchestra through various music cues, many musical emotional moments inserted throughout each Family Guy episode.
1: A cue I just did for a show I, I score on this coming week Uh, Took me eight hours to lay out the timings. Ah. And in most of television work, you get eight hours to do the whole show. Mm -hmm. Because then the composer is expected to cut and paste or to get in their mini and do different things. Ah. They're not really composing. It's more like cutting uh, material to to stick in, like toothpaste. You're going to put caulk in there, musical caulk, to fill in the gaps that the show feels. Whereas... Mm -hmm. Um, the timings, you know, you start with a pulse. I mean, the the tempo means something to me. It's something very, very, like uh, some people can, can uh, pick out a smell or pick out a color in the sunset and say, oh, it's a little bit gold there or something, and most people don't. I've had to develop that extra bunch of senses, sensory things that say tempo feels a certain way and it like if you want to do something heroic there's kind of a go go you know it's a certain tempo versus slower means that the hero is worried or dying or something so so the tempo so you as you lay things out if the tempo itself the language of the tempo isn't right like if you're sitting there in a jazz gig and you go it's about here that you've decided that that's where that feels that's where that where all of that music is going to feel at home with what you're trying to you know say. If you said happy days are here again and you go one, two, you know, that's happy days are here. But you say happy days are here again. One, two, one. It says something and everybody's saying, Boy, you're saying happy days aren't here. You're kind of playing against it. So you have to to take all this what they call abstract and there's no such thing as abstract because everything exists. The fact that those molecules are resonating in that room, it's a real thing. It's a real physical object. So to me, there's no such thing as abstract. There's subconscious and there's conscious things. I have to work on the subconscious and lay that groundwork. And in every field of music, that's the field that nobody thinks about. They call it, oh, it just feel, you happen, whatever, in a record or, or in something. Whereas I have to specifically target the subconscious.
0: It's Hard to Write a Standard, by my guest,
1: composer-conductor Ron Jones. One example of this kind of suspending reality source music, meaning that somehow there's musicians playing in the room. That's why they, it's a source, it's coming from someplace, as opposed to an underscore where it's just dramatic music. So in dinner stories, they're all like at on a cruise, and there's the jazz group playing in the background. So I made it like ultra Jobim. And uh, so it has all the Jobimness ness possible. So it really makes that conversation that they're having on the ship real. Another example that I brought is uh this back to you is that you know being that you're a working composer you get called by Warner Brothers or or somebody Columbia Pictures somebody says you know we we have a a show coming a comedy can you write a, a theme and and they give you like a paragraph you know Johnny has a club somewhere and he has three friends and they do whatever you know so uh I usually, when I get a call for this, I, I I think it's fun. And rather than doing it MIDI, and doing it in my home studio, I this on this one, back to you, I did four versions, all different. And I had Tom Scott, Chuck Finley, and Steve Schafer, and uh, Chuck Berghofer, and all these jazz guys, and Bob McChesney on trombone, And we did these crazy, you know, almost uh, jazz meets Earth Wind of Fire, and funk, and all this. And all in different styles. So um, that's what Back to You is all about. You Brian Screws Up is really uh, like at the end of each Family Guy show. We kind of go back to an area where it's almost like pure film scoring, where the character kind of exposes themselves and says, I'm sorry. I may I really screwed up. And the moral of the story, even though through the whole show, they don't care. And the minute it's over, they go back to being a jerk. Uh, there's a moment there. Just like where, life. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you know, the hypocrisy of it is amazing. But, <laughs> but and, they, under- they have an insight for a minute. That's right. And so rather than playing that it's insincere, I'll make it like the bucket list or I'll make it like the character's dying or I'll make it like it's really about love and really about those things. So if you were to listen to those, those tunes, you would never in a million years say, oh, that's for an animated show at all so which is again this suspending suspending reality
0: I want you to talk about Give Up the Toad, (laughs) because I love that episode, but also as a musician, of course, music is what hooked me into Family Guy. I had friends for years say, watch Family Guy, and I was, eh, you know, it's one of those shows, that's my own prejudice. And then I finally watched it, and the characters broke into a full-on musical number, and I thought, who is this? What is this? You know, but Give Up the Toad really meant something to me, because not just it's the musical number, but it's a reference to a kind of musical number, and I would love you to talk about that process, set that up, but also talk a little bit about this collaboration that you have with Seth, because I know in a lot of movies, they do the movie, they spend years on the movie, and then at the last minute, it seems, two weeks before they give it to the composer and say, now do all the music. You have an unusual, I think, unusual situation because you and Seth talk about these things and really collaborate and have a wonderful give and take on the composing. So talk about that, but also set up this tune, which I think is hilarious.
1: I think Give Up the Toad was one of the ones we did in the first couple of seasons and we were doing parodies. We'd do parodies of Annie. And instead of, I think you're going to like it here, I, you know, it'd be, he'd inherit a a mansion. So we did a parody of Annie. And uh, this one was kind of like a parody of, uh, what was it? Uh, I don't re- I didn't even remember. It's some musical. It might have been, uh, uh, you know, one of these teeny bopper type things. And... And so basically my job is not to copy that because that that would really be um, intellectually kind of robbing it. But the the audience knows that we're doing a parody of a Broadway musical or a movie musical. So they accept that. And then what we do is the lyrics go off in a crazy way. And then the animators can take license, to, like if he says you know, toad something, the character can grab a toad and do something <laughs> you, you couldn't do. So they they throw in their outrageousness. Um And so you see, you get all this uh, window dressing of interesting things. So it's an entendre that we're making fun of that species of, of musical theater on top of it, on top of it. So it's like three or four layers of this thing. And then it has to For the joke to be a joke, you have to be exact on. You have to be so close to it that people kind of instantly go, they're in the other room, you know, making a sandwich or they're ironing in the other room and they hear it and they go, I get what they're doing. Right. That is a trick. That is really the trick. And you should set it up too
0: because this is an episode about, don't they lick the toad? I'm trying to remember. It's addictive. Talk about what it is because so people who haven't seen it will know why they have to give up the toad.
1: Well, in this episode... uh, Peter Griffin finds that the kids are tripping out licking this toad. And so they weren't doing grass. They weren't doing that, but they were somehow licking this Brazilian toad or something and getting psychedelic high off of it. And so he goes and decides to go undercover. And of course he's a middle-aged man, <laughs> uh, overweight man. And he's going to act like he's undercover as a teenager. Right. And he tries to be cool and of course, he's not cool, but somehow he endures himself to the cool group, and he, then he does this song, which is like something out of the, the 50s, uh, you know, with Olivia Newton John and the whole thing, so uh, <laughs> like out of Greece. And, and so I had to analyze Greece, and, I mean, truly analyze it, you know, like when we do something, I have to truly know it inside and out and I'll pick the same orchestration as they did for the motion picture soundtrack.
0: Well, that's what makes it so funny because subconsciously Mm -hmm. people aren't thinking, ooh, that's the same orchestration. But I think on a sub, again, on a subconscious level, you know what it is.
1: Yeah. Because if it's not, if you're going to paradise something, you've been a paradise, but you don't want to plagiarize, which is different. There's a fine line between that and comedy. And so to make that real, you have to really make that real. So... Uh, uh, And we would produce the, you know, I would sit there and I'd look at the lyrics, I'd look at the lines and even the background vocals and everything and made it so that as the kids sang, like I had to score it with the idea that the group there all of a sudden starts song and dancing in the classroom and they're dancing on the tables and they're in the laboratory with the the frogs and they make the frogs sing. (laughs) You have to, you have to vision because in the script it just says stuff happens. You know, it doesn't say, Ron, specifically, we are so musically inclined that we know exactly. They just go, song happens, and they give you the lyrics. And so we're trying to to do entendre and parody and all these, you know, these crazy things. But my job is to nail it.
2: Let me tell you about it Stead. You'll get chills all through your body And you'll lose all control of your bladder and your sphincter that's your butthole cause if you use toad then i'm telling you you can kiss your life goodbye yeah when you use toad it'll mess you up It'll make your mama cry, that's no lie You'll choke on your tongue and die Gotta give it up, gotta give up the toe now It's no joke, buddy, give it up Gotta give up the toe now Or you'll croak, buddy, give it up Gotta give up the toe now And don't smoke, or you'll see It hurts to pee There'll be blood gushing from ya. Every time that you cough And forget getting lucky It falls off Yeah, you better wise up Cause I'm telling you Toad is one land for bitch. Gotta give it all up Or you're gonna see kids will be born without eyelids. Give, give, give up the toad now. Thanks to you. And don't give
1: it
0: up. Give up the toad. Written, orchestrated, and conducted by my guest. Ron Jones, for the animated show Family Guy. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to podcasts of Jazz Inspired wherever you get your podcasts and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at stridequeen. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production, not funded by NPR. We're funded primarily by your donations, so please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in. No gift is too small. 2020 marks our 20th year on air. So please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. My guest is Emmy Award winning film and TV composer, Ron Jones. Talk about play-ons.
1: Play-ons are kind of funny. Play-ons are the way that you establish a scene. And so say something happened and then the editor cuts to the exterior of the house or the exterior of the hospital or the exterior of something You they give me a few seconds to play and then that tails in and then and then they bring up the dialogue and the doctor says you know your kidney's going to fall out and <laughs> you get into it and so but if you just cut to the to the scene and you're sitting at home watching it you might go you know i wonder what's what's happening on uh, nfl tonight you know you want to You want to, it's sort of like a a salve that gets you into the, so I have to establish the emotions of that scene without tipping or anything. And and so I'll play like, because the show's so subversive, I'll be uh, very, very, um, uh, leave it to beaver. So a lot of these cues are kind of uh, leave it to beaver. And in these play-ons, it gives me a chance many times to let the jazz band, we let the, I call the stiffs go, the strings and everybody, the harp and everything that, that are so serious, they leave, and then the jazz band starts blowing the, uh, their the horn, their horns and pulling the saxes out, and we and we get to do these uh, amazing little jazz things that last four seconds. So that's what that's what these uh, these little play-ons I brought in. A good example of these little jazzy play-ons would be Quag's pants. <laughs> Another one would be clam time. Clam time is when you're playing on to the clam bar and that typically is blues or jazz and we get to pull out the horns and, and blow.
0: I love these because I have to tell you, Because you'd never have this experience, because you're the one who's written these things and you're conducting. But as a participant, which is what I felt like sitting there, and I did feel like a participant, not an observer, and a fan of the show, it was really hilarious to be in front of the orchestra and hear the whole orchestra do these play-ons. Because I was feeling it, and it's there, but I could picture the show and see it. I, I say that just to sort of impart that to the audience, to our radio listeners, how incredible this is. Because I've been an animation fan forever. And it's so different what you're doing from some of these earlier things. Like you're talking about Carl Stalling, who was magnificent. But it was a very different kind of way of setting these things off. You're really, there's so much irony. And you're playing off of these things with setting this mood in a very serious way, like you're saying, because I was there when the Stiffs left mm-hmm. and you had the jazz band and I wanted them to keep going because mm-hmm. it sounded like a bunch of serious jazz guys because they are serious jazz guys. But you know what I'm saying with this? It's fascinating.
1: Yeah, they're the best guys. I mean, we have the greatest players. I mean, I've been, I've been many places, but L.A. has this amazing thing because we've had the record industry from right at the beginning, we've had the motion picture industry all through the 20th century. So we've had about 100 years of really working, you know, people working every day doing, you know, commercials and then a record and then, a you know, uh, doing a film score or a TV show. And so they're really great sight readers, but then they go do a jazz gift, you know, like they're jazz guys, but they've learned to read uh, things down the first time and... Uh, So when we're in a session, um, you know, say you have a three-hour call, that means according to the union, you get 50 minutes, then a 10-minute donut break where all the players go over and have Fritos and donuts, and then you start again. So I have three 50-minute segments, and I may come out of there with 60 or 70 circle takes. So that means that we read down that piece for the first time, recorded it, maybe found that the French horns were late or we need to take an A and do it again. So we finished that in two and a half minutes and moved on. And that's going to go out to millions of people forever and ever. And that's it. So that, that sort of pressure, and yet we make it fun. So if they're already under those kinds of pressure, like everyone's walking around with nitroglycerin, you want it to be light because if you get them worried about the nitroglycerin, or say you're on the edge of the Grand Canyon without without any rails, <laughs> you want to keep it light. You want to go, you know, it's not that big of a hole. It's kind of a funny hole, isn't it? You know, and look at that. Look at Grandma's near the edge. You know, you you keep it light because the players
0: are already so serious. Oh, and it's a very high-pressure situation. There's a lot of money running on this. They You only have a short amount of time. And I'm glad you brought this up because this is – How I personally connected with you when I got to know you in the beginning was this positivity, which I feel in our business, you have to choose to be positive because there's so many things to make you not positive. I think you have to choose not to be bitter. And you and I occupy different places in the business. You have your Hollywood studio challenges. I have my touring jazz musician Mm -hmm. challenges. But I know because we've talked about it before – And I'd like you to talk a little bit about this, to expand on that, about valuing people, about how I know you think about this business. And you've talked about setting up a nice environment for these musicians. But I know you also have a real philosophy about appreciating people. And the book that you read, talk a bit about this and how important you think that is, because I think that's important in every aspect of life, and I know you do too.
1: I, I've been struck over the years at how music is all about emotions, and it is about expression and about our human intellect and, our, and who we are. And yet, in music textbooks, there's no discussion. In music school, there's no discussion. It's all mechanics. It's all theory. It's all understanding it like it's a science. And yet, everything about it says it's about other things. So I've made my own personal quest to understand these things. And I ran across um, a a book called The How of Happiness um, a few years back. And in it, basically, somebody had done, a at the University of California, Riverside, had done their postgraduate work for 17 years with a big grant and a staff of people in lab coats on happiness. So it wasn't like an Oprah Winfrey, you know, I I discovered I liked uh, herbal teas that made me happy and I liked to look at sunsets and puppies. This was like science, you know, like it had to be proven empirically. So it said at the after this long dissertation of what it was about it gets to now what are those things? And the number one thing was appreciating others. That was the biggest bang that you could get out of yourself. You could buy a yacht, and then a month later, you'd say, gee, why don't I have the new the new yacht? But if you appreciate others, and they appreciate you, that's as good as it gets. So I said, this is my family. These players, I've been working with them for decades. These, this is my family. I'm going to appreciate them. I'm going to love them. And that fundamentally has been my business plan to to show that to them so that I don't go, hey, ding dongs, you know, play my great music. It's not like a challenge that they're dumb. And I say, is it possible? Can we crescendo in bar nine? And they go, is it possible? Of course. I studied at the Sorbonne. I can crescendo. But if you say, you dummy, how dare you have shown up today? Yeah, you're not worthy to even put your, bring your horn out of the case. How dare you even call yourself that player? Then they, they, they have a kind of a weird angst about everything you're doing. And they go, let's just get this over. When, when we're done, if somebody finishes early, I say, can't you just leave? They go, no, I just enjoy being here. I just love, can I stay? The players wanna stay. I have to like, you know, prod them. I say, don't you have a family and (laughs) I
0: was at that session. So I know and I went out and had donuts with those guys. We bonded over
1: those donuts. Yeah. So so I think (laughs) I think that's a different and that and I think that's part of the making the music because, you know, as we've had discussions away from the interview, um that I believe that the compositions like I could have I used to dream that if I had a bin at Tower Records in the Deutsch Gramophone area of Ron Jones's Concertos and all these things, that that's what I wanted. And that's what I thought early on, Uh, if I could be the next Bartok or the next John Williams. But if the equation is that the biggest bang in your buck is appreciating others, then the greatest composition has to be who we are, our life from the beginning to the end, and how much we're going to appreciate others and, and get that piece of the pie that only can be gotten through human things. So I'm no longer trying to, I like I got, had a Grammy nomination last year, so what? I had two Emmy nominations, so what? Those are silly. If the band digs it and, and I say, can we do one more take? I don't care if you blow it, but let's just play our butts off here can we do that and they go oh, of course can we do that and then they play this they they take my little composition and they play it out so that's a win for me that's a win and that's what i'm looking for and I, and that's why i try to to teach and infect this idea into the younger composers the older ones already don't care and they've given up on this whole idea because they've so jaded but the, the the recipe for anti jading and anti burnout is is to have these kinds of things that you're not there for that per- you're not there to be how great you are you're you're there to say how can we have a ball making this music and let's die trying mm-hmm. you know and you said like how do you remain positive well if you were hanging on the face of El Capitan by a rope and you're 5,000 feet above the floor, does it pay to get nervous and and angry and negative? Say, oh, you know, one more step, I I just can't do it. Or do you say, I'm gonna remain positive because I I wanna get to the top and not fall. So it's a strategy also to stay positive because even though you got bean counters in the booth and all these people doing this negative kind of thing, you know, it's costing this much and stuff. If I look down to the valley floor and get negative with them, I can't deliver that ship. I can't get us through the storm. So I'm gonna remain Mr. Mr. Happy. <laughs> Even if I'm not.
0: I am very excited about the Revell Project, which you and I talked about almost a year ago. And it's now in New York, started here in LA. So talk a bit about that, why you started it, what you're doing, because I love your advocacy for the arts in general, for life and positivity. But specifically, this is a really wonderful project.
1: Well, I... I looked around because all the young composers seemed to come to me like a magnet and saying, you know, uh, we want to know more. And one thing that I thought was lacking, like a like a vitamin deficiency, was how to work with a real orchestra. How how do you orchestrate for a real orchestra? Because they buy software that has samples of here's a cello or here's a sample of an English horn. And there's never been more opportunity to do it wrong. Because you, could be, you can just stick it in there any way you want. And that's fine. You, you can do it wrong. You can cut and paste it. But if you have a real setting orchestra and you don't know how to write for the strings versus how to write for the woodwinds or the brass versus the percussion or whatever, you're in trouble. <clears throat> so I said, well, uh, I asked a jazz club in LA a few years back. I said, do you think you could give me the morning? And we'll have coffee and tea and SpaghettiOs afterwards. And we'll see if anybody comes. And I thought there'd be five people that would come and we just have a little intimate study of Ravel and we were studying Daphnis and Chloe and we had 70 to 80 (laughs) people come and it ended up being the biggest event of the whole calendar every month was this morning Ravel group. So here in LA with the potholes and everybody and the traffic, you can hear the traffic rushing and we're in studio city and here's all this people coming together and we, we all emerge and and we come to study Ravel, and I and I decided to have each part uh, separately input in with the samples. So we listen to the Deutsch Grammophon recording of uh, Boulez with the London Philharmonic recording and use that as a as a guide track, and then we have each part input so I can say you know what. Everyone has their scores there, and they all say, and I say, okay, in bar thirteen, let's just solo the alto flute. So we solo it in the computer, so we can play that back and talk about it, rather than just saying we're going to play the whole thing and you have to kind of dissect it. So it's like being able to get put it under the microscope, and we get rock musicians. We have the guy that did produced all these Adele songs. We have people that are very serious orchestrators. We have people that are jazz musicians. We have all that. And so now this has expanded to Vancouver, B.C. Now New York uh, is starting in the East Village. Um, And Chicago's coming and Brussels is coming and Moscow. It seems to be that there's this uh, hunger amongst the young composers to not just have these samples but know how to really write so Ravel, being that he was the the lightning hits the moment where everything's orchestrally vibrant, more than Wagner, more than Beethoven, it was prior to really having instruments that could do these things. And you had Debussy and you had Stravinsky and everybody at the same time in Paris. So I thought, too, he was a rebel. He kept getting kicked out. He, he held the record for being kicked out of the Paris Conservatory. Um, and... That this would be a good a good example, so we started that, and uh, we've been studying for three and a half years, and it just keeps expanding. Uh, and out of that, I asked them, I said, "Do you guys want to start a nonprofit?" Because this was just me doing it. This is just me having it. Uh, and so we started a nonprofit uh, educational group called the Academy of Scoring Arts. So that we can create programs that are, you know, keep going and keep expanding, like teaching that, like having forums, like we want to have our own symphony orchestra, we want to have different ensembles, we want to have a, a a community, and everybody comes kind of to our group almost in tears because they're all isolated in their cubicle wherever they are doing their art. And we think we're in the mass communication where everyone's connected through Facebook and Twitter, but we're actually very isolated. It's kind of a fake thing, like thinking television is like you're you're sitting with Tom Brokaw. You're not sitting with Tom Brokaw. He's broadcasting. It's one way. So if you can be in a room with other musicians and other composers and stuff, we're like becoming the living room of creativity. And... We're going to. We're expanding to filmmakers and to everybody. So um, it's kind of a, a quiet revolution. And I find professors at colleges want to be part of it. I find that people that are authors want to be part of it. Everybody that gets involved with it just goes, "Wow, this is the this is the craziest thing ever." Well, you're, you're also
0: it. sitting and listening. I people who listen to the show are probably sick of hearing me say it because I keep harping on. People listening that nobody's listening, uh, or that so many people aren't listening anymore. And I'm really struck by the fact that you all sit down, you open up your scores, and you listen. You take that time to sit there and listen. So that's a very different pace and a very different focus. Let's all get together and sit in a room and listen to Ravel and talk about it and have this this moment when the cell phones are off, when we're not texting when it's really about this. That is revolutionary right now. I think that is.
1: Well, that you get people together in a room. Mm -hmm. Like everyone says, we've had people move. We've had at least a dozen people move down from Seattle who came to it. They used to fly down every day for the Revelda and then go back and, and not even stay in a hotel just to be in the group. And they said, you know, enough of this. I'm moving down. And they would say, like, wow, L.A. is such a warm community. How come the cities I'm in doesn't have that. I say, well, I don't know. We were just as cold as any of them. We're we're 200 miles by 200 miles square with 30 million people. So we're very isolated and very, very uh, distant. We changed it by making it about people. And then some people would say, well, why don't you stream it so I could be at home? I'll work on my jingle. And I say, you know what? If you stream it, you can't be here. No, defeats the whole thing. We want you to come and we want you to be there in the room and so it comes to that thing, that human connection. So I feel that the study is a side effect. The real thing is having spaghetti together. Mm. Everyone hangs out for 3 hours after the study. And hangs out and says, "Wow, this is what I'm working on." "Oh, really? Really? You're working on that? That's neat. Here's what I'm working on." And when they're back and forth and they're sharing things and and uh you know, and then I try to plug them into things I say, "Yeah, you should come to a session or uh, you know, and we have people from the Master Chorale, the Symphony, in addition to the studio people that are doing the films. So uh, it gives people a community, and we're not academic. We're cr- trying to cut through the academic architecture, so that I'm more like the the cruise director. When you go to Disneyland and you go on the Jungle Cruise, you're not going there to learn about tigers. The guy's making fun, say, oh, there's a tiger, ha-ha, and makes a joke. And you're being entertained. So in the way, the way that we study it, we sort of think of Stravinsky as a buddy. We think of Ravel as a buddy. And now what's going through Maurice's ideas right now? What's going through Igor's idea? What was he thinking about? What was his process? Because today, I have to go home and write a film score. Today, I need to apply these things. Because everybody's just leaving there going, gee, I have a, I have a film or I have a, a short feature to do or something. And so everybody, even if they're not trained or they have an advanced Ph.D., seems to all look at that, that Jungle Cruise ride and pull out something amazing. Mm. Like if you go to the Grand Canyon, if you take a geologist that's a Ph.D. in geology, They walk up to the canyon and go, oh, look at the stratas. And then that has this morph rock that's 10 million years old. And this was from volcanic. And look at the river. A little girl comes up to the wall and goes, look at the pretty colors and look at the big hole, mommy. You know, but they get something and they walk away. So we're sort of presenting a Grand Canyon in a way that's not academic. And everybody just digs it. We don't the last thing anyone says is, boy, I'm learning. (laughs) <laughs> well,
0: and you make it, if you, if you set the environment, then you're going to have a group that's very diverse that would come in that I'd come to this and I wouldn't, I'm not reading scores every day, but I'd still come knowing, and I plan on coming in New York well, because I know I'm going about to get fun. something. It. Absolutely. It should be about fun. What a concept. Yeah. It like, can be about fun. Like you can laugh. Oh my god. You can gosh. laugh.
1: <laughs> well, isn't it funny what Stravinsky did at this particular moment? You know? Isn't this funny what he did? I mean, that the ultimate sign of intelligence is, is, is not two plus two equals four. It's two plus two equals a banana or equals something abstract. And and if we can't do that, then we're not really getting to the essence of who these people are. You can't listen to jazz mathematically and have a calculator and say, you know, I kind of like really that that chord progression went up here and aha, I laughed to myself of the deceptive cadence that she went through.
0: You know, I mean, <laughs>
1: I was really expecting A-flat there, and she gave me F-minor. You
0: know. <laughs> Those deceptive cadences get like when you they walk every in at the time. jazz club
1: with a, with a bunch of calculators, <laughs> it's over. It's-
0: oh. Well, we've come full circle on this because it's all about the human connection and who you are and developing as a person, and you are a great person, and I love what you put out with your music, with your energy, and – what you're doing for the whole community. It's just so lovely. And thank you for doing this, for coming all the way to Santa Monica, through the traffic to come see me.
1: Judy, thank you for interviewing all these interesting people around the world and for seeking to bring that treasure of what's special and what's imaginative and what's musical and what's wonderful in the world. It's like you're presenting this wonderful smorgasbord for people at home to be able to listen to and be inspired, like you say, jazz inspired. Mm-hmm. Literally, you're doing that. And so, thank you for doing that. And I'm going to have you come and do my show. <laughs> 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 if I ever have a show, Fantastic. You're gonna, we're going to do your Fantastic. interviews.
0: <laughs> I'll play. Well, actually, I'll come do Family Guy and I'll be the toad. That's right. you can do-
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you, Ron.
1: Thank you, Judy.
0: You've been listening to my conversation with Ron Jones. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired from all the usual podcast platforms or listen at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Air Mail Special and the midbreak music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with my Casham on sax and Chris Florian on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Page at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Page at 63Main at OpenTable.com. Composer Ron Jones had particular fun with the score for the Family Guy Christmas show, which was a production beyond anything he and Seth MacFarlane had tackled previously. Here from that episode is "Christmas Time Is Killing Us."
3: Each bell would peal with a silvery zeal as the holiday feeling was killing us. But now instead all we're feeling is dread because Christmas time is killing us. Each Christmas list gets us more and more pissed till the thought of existence is chilling us. I'll tell you what, shove your list up your butt because Christmas time is killing us. But can't you see that what you do is a dream come true? Can't you see that every smile makes it all worthwhile? No, screw you, it's all but through, there's too much to do. All those dreams are nightmares and blank icy stares. Each little elf used to fill up a shelf Making playthings and selflessly thrilling us Now they're on crack and it feels like Iraq Because Christmas time is killing us Each model
2: train only heightens the pain of the workload That's draining and drilling us
3: Fingers all bleed and look that guy just peed Because Christmas time is killing us But can't
2: you see our
3: point of view? We rely on you Can't you see
0: that Christmas cheer gets us through the year?